Good morning, everyone. And praise the Lord. Okay, it's lovely to be here and to speak the word of God. Very, very precious word of God. I hope I'm on. Yeah? Okay, yes, I think that's better. Um, This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Amen? And so we thank the Lord for his word. I haven't uh, studied yet, but I promise you it's good, because his word is always good. (laughs) Amen. So we are in the book of Acts. We are in the book of Acts today. We need our Bibles, because Jimmy is uh, not here, but uh, we thank God that we have the Bibles with us all the time. So if you have your Bible, just open the book of Acts, and we shall go to chapter 20, chapter 20. Um, so just a brief, a brief recap, last week we, uh, we went through chapters 18 and 19, uh, the preaching was really, really great by Rory, those who missed it really missed something really big. Um, we got the chance to practice the gift of prophecy. Uh, The Bible encourages us to pursue love and to earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. And really, thank you, Rory, for demystifying it, because I think for too long it's been very um, mysterious. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, somebody comes to you and says, I am a prophet, and you're supposed to get very impressed. But really, the gift of prophecy is about encouraging others. Um, in, in, in Corinthians, I think, 1 Corinthians chapter, I think, 14, it talks about, it really is about interpreting the divine will and purpose of God, um, and really just for the purposes of building up someone, encouraging someone, uh, bringing consolation, bringing comfort into someone's life, whether that is by Bible verses or by just speaking into their lives, um, that is actually what prophetic um, New Testament prophecy is about. And I want to just emphasize something that Rory said last week. The gifts that Jesus gave are really not just gifts for people who stand here or who talk from here or who worship here. The gifts are to the church. In fact, in Ephesians, it very specifically says um, he gave gifts to the church, to the church, Uh, not just to a few select leaders or a few select people. It's to the church. And if you're in Christ Jesus, if you consider Christ Jesus as Lord and Savior, you are part of that church. Amen? And so uh, my encouragement this morning is really don't fear being able to actually step out and encourage others, um, help others. We are a body, and we encourage each other. Um, If you want to practice, and maybe you are excited about this journey, practice it in safe environments. I mean, come to Rory, for example, and just (laughs) prophesy over him. You know, you can tell him anything, (laughs) and he'll tell you whether you're on the right track or not. Um, come to me, come to, come to leaders, um, but it, it's good to practice in a safe environment because um, it, it's actually a very, very much needed gift in the body of Christ, encouraging others, building each other up. Amen? Um, and uh, just to mention this, um, because I think it's important we keep emphasizing this, not to mystify this gift. Um, you know, a few weeks ago, I stood here and I was MC for um, that particular Sunday, And I asked someone, like we normally do, if there's anybody who is new here. And one lady put up her hand. And after the service, I went and spoke to her just to say hello, as as we normally say, ask where you're coming from, what are you doing in Kampala, and so on. 
Um, and she just gave me a brief about herself. Now, the following Sunday, she came, um, and she actually went, walked up to me at the end of the service, and she said, I had a dream about you. Um, and she went on to speak something very, very specific in my life, just like that, a, a total stranger who had come and joined the body of Christ. And that's how the Holy Spirit moves. He moves amongst us, not looking for a few select leaders, but for anyone who is willing, um, anyone who is willing to receive from him and then to minister on his behalf. And so I was really encouraged by the word that she gave me. So the gifts are in the body of believers. They are not just for a few select people. You could actually be an instrument for the Holy Spirit to move. Now, going back to the book of Acts, um, we are in the book of Acts. And at the end of chapter 19, there was plenty of drama, if you remember. Okay? There was a major riot that broke out in the city of Ephesus. And it was triggered by this guy called Demetrius. Demetrius was a guy who used to make idols. And when people began to convert and to follow the lordship of Jesus Christ, uh, Demetrius got a bit concerned, actually got very concerned because he saw his, his, uh, his trade was disappearing. His money was disappearing. And so he stirred up a riot. And um, they, it was such a big riot that actually they had to bring in the government officials. The town clerk had to come in and intervene and then made a speech and basically dismissed the crowd. So today we are kicking off from Acts chapter 20. Let's move to Acts chapter 20. And the first few verses, Paul is in Macedonia and Greece. Basically, Macedonia is the modern-day Turkey. If anybody's been to Turkey, that's basically where Macedonia was. And Greece is the modern-day Greece. <laughs> So uh, Paul is moving through Macedonia and Turkey with his disciples, people like Timothy, people like uh, Gaius, Tychicus, and all these others that I can't pronounce their names. And he's encouraging, preaching, and teaching, essentially doing what his ministry calls him to do. And then he ends up in a place called Troas. Troas. So in verse 7, while Paul is in Troas, as was typical of him, he gets the opportunity to preach and to teach. So he gets invited to preach and to teach, um, in this very interesting multi-storied building. It was a building with several stories. And there was a young man named Eutychus who was in that building and who was in that congregation. And he was seated on a window, much as you see the windows. So this was on the third floor. He seated on the window, and then he starts to doze off. As you can imagine, this is the third floor. He's sitting on a window. He's sleeping. And the next thing is he basically falls out of the window and falls three stories right to the ground, and then he dies. So the lesson here is don't fall asleep in the sermon. That's the first lesson. <laughs> um, and in order to see what happens, let's go to verse 9. Okay, I'm going to do a bit of reading because I love the word of God, so when we read it, it's also quickened in our hearts. Verse uh, 9. Oh, good, we have the Bible up there. Okay, fantastic. Thank you. Who's there? Daniel. Thank you so much, hey, you guys. Wonderful ministry. So verse 9, and a young man named Eutychus sitting at the window sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. And being overcome by sleep, he fell down the third story and was taken up dead. But Paul went down and bent over him and taking him in his arms, he said, don't be alarmed for his life is in him. And when Paul had gone up and had broken bread and eaten, he conversed with them a long while until daybreak and so departed. And they took the youth away live, um, alive and were not a little comforted. It means they were greatly comforted. You know, it's very easy to read through this story and just think it's one of the stories in Acts, a miracle. 
But I want to point out something. The book of Acts is basically so full of miracles, so full of signs and wonders that you can sometimes just go through and miss the heart of, um, of, the, the, the heart of really how God's power works. Um, keep in mind that this was at the beginning of the church. So the early disciples didn't really have very sophisticated systems in place. They didn't have the, you know, the technology that we have. They didn't have the ability to move as quickly as we do. And yet, one thing that you will notice is that the power of God moved amazingly through them. It was unhampered, unlimited by all these things that we sometimes consider as conveniences. And we've gone through the last 20 chapters. If there's one thing that I've noticed is that miracles were really considered just normal. It was actually normal. Have you noticed that Paul did not even pray for Eutychus? If you look at that verse, verse 10, it says, Paul went down, in other words, went downstairs, bent over him, and taking him in his arms said, do not be alarmed, for his life is in him. And that's it. And then they broke bread, basically had Holy Communion, and Paul continued teaching until daybreak and departed. You know, so you can imagine, somebody's dead. What would you do? <laughs> what would you do? But it was, it was so normal. This is like, okay, the guy's dead. Fine, let's declare him alive. And they declare him, and the guy's alive, and life goes on. And this should really be the same as, uh, you know, it's the same situation with us. We should live with this expectation that signs and wonders will follow us wherever we go. It should be the norm. Think about Jesus, or what Jesus said. He's, he commanded disciples to heal the sick and to raise the dead. To heal the sick and raise the dead. He promises them that signs and wonders will follow those who believe in his name. Uh, this is from Mark chapter 16. That they will drive out demons, they will speak in new languages, they will lay their hands on the sick and the sick will recover, the sick will get well. Jesus is the same yesterday, he's the same today, he's the same tomorrow. Whatever he commanded and promised his disciples at that time, he still commands and promises us even today. His power is undiminished, it's unlimited, it still works even today. Now, at this point, I want to share a story that really just testifies to this, the fact that God's power is alive, 100% alive as it was then, um, even today. Um, I worked with a young man named Moses, and I'm going to tell you his name because he went public with his testimony, very powerful testimony. Um, so we worked with him for several years, but eventually he left our workplace, this was many years back, and he joined an NGO, and the NGO sent him to South Sudan, to work in South Sudan. Now, while he was in South Sudan, um, working for this NGO, he was crossing the road, and then a driver basically just rammed into him, hit him, and, and as he fell, this driver reversed and ran over him again, and then ran over him again, and then drove off. Clearly, the intent was to kill the guy. The logic being that apparently it's easier to deal with a dead body than half-living man. So the driver's intent was to kill him. The, uh, Moses was left unconscious, uh, completely unconscious, and uh, good enough, there were some good Samaritans who witnessed it. So they came rushing to try and see what they could do. He had his ID with him, so they contacted his, uh, his company, um, and they, they rushed him to a nearby medical facility. So the facility, um, the basic medical facility, they examined him, checked him out, and this guy had broken ribs, as you can imagine, internal bleeding, liver was completely damaged, 
basically the guy was completely finished. The only thing is that his heart was just barely beating. So um, the medical facility said, you know what, we are really not equipped to deal with this. Um, that's the reality. So together with uh, the company that was employing him, they agreed to fly him to India, a uh, medical flight to India, um, to a trauma center where they are skilled with dealing these kinds of things. So meanwhile, the NGO also got in touch with uh, Moses' uh, family who was based here. They were Ugandans, they're based here. And they began to pray. They began to just speak into this man's life and say, you know, the scriptures that, you know, just proclaimed life into him. So meanwhile, the NGO, or rather the medical facility in Sudan, in South Sudan, sent through all the diagnosis and they sent it to the trauma center in India to prepare, of course, for receiving of the body and just say, you know, just um, uh, enable them to see what they're dealing with. Um, they sent all that information ahead, the x-rays, the lab reports, etc. Um, and when the body arrived, or rather when Moses arrived, barely conscious, barely breathing, um, in India, the trauma center in India um, said we have to do our tests, obviously, our own tests, just to determine uh, what the extent of the injuries is like, what the situation is like. So they examined him, they went through the x-rays, you know, full, um, what do they call them, scan, body scan, and all that type. And then they noticed something strange. So they called up the medical facility in South Sudan and they said, did you send the right person? And the medical facility in South Sudan was like, yes, this guy is barely breathing. He has issues with, you know, problems. The liver was completely shredded. The lungs were collapsed, the breathes or whatever. And the medical facility in India was like, okay, we have a guy here, but he's fine. His liver is fine. He has no broken ribs. His lungs are perfectly okay. He's breathing just fine. He only has a few scars that we can, I mean, a few um, what do you call, wounds that we just maybe we can treat, but he's perfectly fine. And Moses woke up with absolutely no internal injuries, nothing wrong with him. Of course, he had to fly back then. <laughs> but you know, when, when Moses told me of this testimony, he said, I actually have the two x-rays with me, the two uh, scans, the results of the scans, the ones that was taken in South Sudan and the one that was taken in India. And they are very, very different. It's like looking at two completely different patients, or two, two completely different people. So somewhere between airlifting, you know, in, between South Sudan and India, a miracle happened. A God, uh, you know, a God-driven miracle actually happened. And so this is, the, I mean, this is something that didn't happen many years ago in the book of Acts. This is something that happened <laughs> today. It's a very, very much a very live story. Moses is actually alive today, speaking of his testimony. He goes everywhere and talks about his testimony, about God was able to actually put together his entire body. He's a creator, so, you know, you can't start saying, but how did that happen? If he can put together a body from nothing, you know, when he, when he put together Adam, putting together a body that is broken and wounded and bleeding is really no big deal for him. So the power of God is alive even today. Amen? Amen. Very powerful. Signs and wonders follow those who believe. Um, that's really um, something that I want to emphasize. It's something that should be natural to us. Um, we should be people who move around, and when we, wherever we step, wherever we go, signs and wonders will follow us. Okay, so Acts chapter 20, we move to verse 17. Uh, Paul returns to Ephesus and calls together the elders of the church. 
In effect, he holds what, is, what we now know as pastor's conference. He calls together the pastors, um, and he has a pastor's conference. And he talks to these pastors. This is actually his final journey. So basically, he's saying goodbye to them, and he's talking to them. And he, in, his, um, you know, in his delivery, as he talks to them, he highlights certain very key concerns that he had for his church. The Ephesus church was very, very large, and he had a lot of concerns about it. And when you look at these concerns, I believe God was actually speaking to him uh, about this church, but also about our present-day church. The very same concerns that Paul had for the church are the very present concerns I believe that God has for us today. Okay, so from verse 18, um, Acts chapter 20 from verse 18, um, verse 18, and when they came to him, he said to them, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia. In verse 19, it says, I was serving the Lord with all humility and with tears, with trials that happened to me throughout the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that is profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house. So here Paul is basically saying, or is talking to the elders about the importance of serving God with humility. Serving God with humility. When we are faced with trials and persecutions, this is so, so important that we don't fall away because of the trials, the tribulations, the tough things that come our way. This should not be the things that draw us away, but rather we should serve the Lord in season and out of season. We sang the fact that God is faithful in good times and in bad times, and we too should respond to that faith. We should be faithful to him in good times and in bad times. Importance of serving God with humility, even when we are faced with trials, we remain committed to him. Jump to verse 24. I did not count my life of any value or as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry I received from the Lord Jesus Christ to testify, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. This was Paul's focus, testifying to the gospel of the grace of God. And this is really about the importance of considering your life and my life as of no value compared to a life lived in Christ, lived for Christ. This is really what Paul was saying, a life that testifies of the good news or the grace or the favor of God. When we are committed to God, that grace and that favor will flow through us. Can you think of successful men and women in the Bible who are totally, totally committed to God and whose lives testified of the grace and the favor of God? Can you think of some? In the Bible, anywhere in the Bible. Joseph, yes. Amazing guy, Joseph. I mean, in hardships, and normally you will see, as you mentioned these names, you notice the hardships they went through. They were still committed to God, and the favor of God flowed through them. So Joseph is one. Esther, yes, Esther, yes. Favor of God in front of a king. Daniel, amazing, received favor in front of a pagan king because of the fact that he stood for God. Gideon, Gideon, eh? Gideon, okay, a man who was favored by God, highly, <laughs> a man of valor, they, they, they call him, a man of valor. Eh? David. David, King David, absolutely, committed to the Lord till the end, received amazing favor. 
Job, yes, and at the end, all the trials he went through at the very end, man, the guy was mega blessed. And you can think of many others. When we stand for God, when we are committed to him, our lives will testify of the good news of the grace of God. Favor will just overflow us and overflow, will flow over us, flow through us, and people will actually see, really, how does this person manage? And yet it is the favor and the grace of God. So this was the thing about Paul's life. Verse 28, he says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock. Uh, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. So Paul is talking here of the importance of caring for yourself and also for one another. Very, very important. And uh, The Bible has like over, I think, almost 60 commands about caring for one another um, as a body of believers. Um, commands such as praying for one another, encouraging one another, honoring one another, being united with one another, not quarreling with one another. All these are really about caring for us, for each other, as a body of Christ. And so that's just as important today as it was in Paul's time. And then Paul goes on to give one of the strongest warnings in the New Testament, verse 29. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert. So Paul was highly concerned about false teachers. Notice that he says some of them will actually come from among yourselves, speaking to pastors in Ephesus. False teachers, don't, false teachers and preachers don't just come from outside. A lot of the times, they actually come from within. So we are to be alert. We are to be alert. Don't just follow anyone who says anything in the body of Christ and just declares it in the name of Jesus. Let us be alert. Amen. Verse 32, and now I, command, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace. I commend you to God and to the word of his grace. Uh, verse 32, sorry. I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance amongst all who are sanctified. The word of grace and God working together able to build you up and give you the inheritance amongst all who are sanctified. Um, when we have the word of, of grace in our lives, in our hearts, established in our hearts, this word of grace or the word of favor, we have assurance of favor from God. We have assurance of blessing from God. We have assurance of forgiveness. We have assurance of peace with God. We have the assurance that God will fight for us all because of who we are in Christ. That's the word of grace, this assurance that we obtain of our identity. Just this week, just this week I, was, I was assuring someone who was really going through a very, very difficult time. Um, she was very stressed over a family situation um, about land issues. The family was basically going back and forth and quarreling over land issues. And she was very stressed because she was one of the key figures inside. And I, I explained to them, look, if you're a believer in God, God is on your side. And you should not really lose your peace over this issue. Don't lose your peace over these issues. Instead, I told her, you need to focus on God and what God is saying about this issue, rather than on what people around 
what family members are saying about it. Focus on God, and that's how you reestablish yourself in the word of grace, the word of favor. And then your peace would be restored. So it's important for us to always have this assurance that, that we are people who are favored by God, who walk with God, and who are stable in him. Okay, then in verse 33, Paul tells the church of the importance of working hard in order to bless others and not be a burden to others. In verse 33, he says, I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel, and you yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said it's more blessed to give than to receive. So Christianity is not an excuse to be lazy. There's no calling in Christianity to do nothing or to be lazy. In Christ, when we are in Christ, we actually work hard, but we work when we are at rest. Amen? So I've gone through these verses very quickly, this really amazing uh, speech that Paul gave to the, the people in Ephesus. And I encourage you to take the time and to study them carefully because the same issues that Paul was concerned about, or that God was concerned about the church at that time are still the same issues that God is concerned that we are, um, that we take note of, um, that we help, you know, we understand, and, and when we take note of them, they will help to grow us spiritually, as well as to uh, protect us from going astray. So let's go on to Acts chapter 21, Acts chapter 21. In Acts chapter 21, Paul heads off to Jerusalem, but on the way to Jerusalem, he's, washed, he's warned by the Holy Spirit not to go to Jerusalem. In fact, he's given a warning at least twice not to go to Jerusalem. The first time is when he landed in the coastal town of Tyre. If you look at Acts chapter 21, verse 4, it says, And having sought out the disciples, we stayed there in Tyre for seven days. And through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. So that's what the first message that uh, Paul received about not going to Jerusalem. The disciples, the spirit through the disciples was telling Paul not to proceed on to Jerusalem. The second time was when he arrived in a town called Caesarea. Verse 10. While we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt and he bound his feet and hands and says, Thus says the Holy Spirit. This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. And when we heard this, we and the people there urged him, urged Paul not to go to Jerusalem. Two clear warnings not to go to Jerusalem. And yet, Paul actually proceeded to go on to Jerusalem despite these warnings and despite the consequences he was bound to face. Let's look at verse 13. This is his reaction. Then Paul answered, what are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he, that is Paul, would not be persuaded, we seized and said, let the will of the Lord be done. And after these days, we got ready and went up to Jerusalem. What was going on here? Was Paul being disobedient to the Holy Spirit? by proceeding on to Jerusalem, even when he had been warned or cautioned or um, at least twice not to do so. 
first by the disciples, then the, the, the prophet Agabus, and then um, the disciples writing on the prophecy of Agabus. There's a big debate about this amongst Bible scholars. Um, some say he didn't disobey and that the Holy Spirit was simply warning him and cautioning him. And some others say that actually, yes, he did disobey. Pretty much the same warning that Peter received that he would betray Jesus, and then he went ahead to betray him. Um, either way, there's much we can learn, whichever side you decide to settle on, there's much that we can learn through this passage. Let's start by thinking about this. Why was Paul so determined to go to Jerusalem? What was he headed for? What was he after in Jerusalem? Well, first of all, it was to celebrate the Passover. Uh, the Passover was a major feast for the Jews. Very, very important, probably the most significant Jew, the most significant feast. And Paul was really headed to identify, was headed to Jerusalem to identify himself with the Jews during this very important festival. But the second reason he was heading to Jerusalem to, was to testify to the church in Jerusalem. Actually, that's where the headquarters of the church was at that time, to testify to them of the amazing work that God was doing in the lives of the Gentiles. Okay, so let's look at um, verse 17. When we had come to Jerusalem, uh, this is Acts 21, verse 17, when we had come to Jerusalem, the brothers received us gladly. And on the following day, Paul went in with us to James, and all the elders were present. After greeting them, he related one by one the things that God had done amongst the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they had it, they glorified God. So Paul was going to Jerusalem to testify before the church elders of things that God was doing before the Gentiles. Now, this was quite important, although now we kind of sort of might brush over this, but remember the message of the good news had so far been contained within the Jews. And when Paul was initially going out to the Gentiles, he had a lot of opposition, especially from the church at that time, the Jewish, um, the Jewish believers. And so the fact that he was going back was to testify of what God was doing amongst the Gentiles. The Gentiles, incidentally, are people like you and me. People